welcome. It's so uh, great to have you with us today, whether you're joining us online or uh, here in the building. It's an exciting time in the life of our church, and um, lots of people reconnecting with church, lots of people who've been coming for the first time over the last few weeks, and we're really looking forward to getting to know you, hearing your stories. We're going to have ice creams after the service, so um, do stay for that, and, uh, and if you're watching online, then um, let us know in the future, and we'll try and post an ice cream to you um, for you to enjoy, uh, and, um, but it's great to have you all here. And we're looking today at why we pray um, from this passage in James. And as we start this new season, we want to focus on the most important things. We long to see people come to faith in our schools, our universities, our hospitals, our workplaces, our businesses, our startups, in our communities, in our city. We long to see people restored. We want to come alongside people in this difficult time with all that's been going on and help and support them. We long to equip each other with the gifts and the skills we need, that we might be salt and light wherever Jesus has placed us, that we might be able to make an impact, make a difference in those places where God has called us to be, in our workplaces, in our families, to make a real impact. We long to raise up a generation of students and youth and children who can live wholeheartedly for the whole of their lives for Jesus. There's lots we feel called to do. There's lots we feel called to build. But the first thing, the most important thing, the starting point for everything we're going to do and everything we are is prayer. And as I'm speaking about prayer, I feel like I need to start with a confession. Um, so lean in here in the building, lean in online. Um, you don't want to miss this. And that's that uh, I haven't actually always found prayer easy to do. And I'm not sure that I've always really completely understood what prayer is. I haven't found it easy. I knew it was something I was supposed to do. I knew it was something that helped you in some way, and it helped your relationship with God. I knew it could even have a positive impact on your life and the life of those around you. And I would try again and again, but I also love just getting stuff done. I'm wired to kind of be active. I want to get cracking. I want to fix things. I want to find solutions. I want to sort out the problems. And I can find it really hard to sit still and just wait for God and listen to God and spend time even speaking to God. And sometimes it can feel, in the busyness of a crazy season like we're in at the moment, can feel a bit counterintuitive to say, no, first of all, I'm going to take a step back from all the demands of the day, all the things that need to get done, all the things that are going on, all the problems I'm facing, all the opportunities I'm aware of. I'm going to take a step back from all of the noise and demands of the moment and say, first, I'm going to pray. And if you feel that way today... I get that. I know exactly how that feels. In a crazy season of life where there's so many demands on our time, when so many different things are reaching for our focus and attention, it feels to say, I'm going to focus on God, can almost feel like a revolutionary act. And you know what? It is, actually. 
And as I started to give prayer a go, as I started to pray on my way into work in the morning, I started to feel that my days went better. It felt like even in the storms of the day, I had a calm and a peace and a strength. I started to realize, to my surprise, that God was actually interested in spending time with me. I started to realize, actually, God could have used any means to accomplish his purposes in the world. Any means of getting my attention. And yet he waited for me to turn my thoughts towards him. Could have used any means to accomplish things in our city, in our workplaces. And yet he waits for my rambling little prayers. He wants them to play a part. And I realize that must mean that if God chooses to wait on, listen to, and respond to my prayers, God must care even more about knowing me and being in a relationship with me than he does about just getting stuff done. And I realize prayer isn't a nice to have, it's essential. It's not an optional extra for really holy people. It's an unmissable opportunity for every single one of us. And we have no hope of being the people that God has called us to be, made us to be without prayer. What if the key to everything you're facing in your life right now, wonderful and incredibly hard, what if the key to that is prayer? What if the most significant thing you did with your whole life wasn't a task you completed, but a prayer you whispered? And that's what we're going to look at today. And the first thing we see in this passage is that whatever you know, that prayer is our greatest need. Whatever you face today, prayer is your greatest need. Maybe you're worried, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're facing real challenges, maybe you're trying to rebuild your business, or, or you've lost your job recently, or you're facing the complexity of all that's going on, and you can't quite work out how to respond. Maybe you've been wearing PPE on the wards, as someone I was hearing about last week has just been wearing, you know, just... Every day going in and putting in PPE in the wards um, and the hospital, day in, day out, for a year and a half. It's just almost having to strengthen yourself to go and do that another day. Maybe it's something that you're excited about, an opportunity that's come up in the last few days. Whatever yours going on, James says the key response to your current circumstances is prayer. Every verse in this passage, James says, pray, pray, prayer, prayer. Prayed, 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 prayed. Whatever we face, whatever else we need to do, we need to pray. And, and prayer on its own isn't going to be always enough. It's, it's not sufficient on its own. But any response that doesn't have prayer as part of it is always going to be deficient. It's never going to be enough on its own. James says, anyone facing trouble, let them pray. If you're facing trouble today, prayer is not a nice to have. It's your desperate need. And I know sometimes when we're facing trouble, um, Prayer isn't our first response. It's more like our last resort. Um, I don't know if you find yourself doing that. Um, I, I, when I first started going out with my wife, Beth, uh, I was invited on the family holiday in Tenby in South Wales, which felt like a really big, you know, sea change moment in our relationship. And, um, and I'd planned to get the train up on the Sunday, and then I was at a friend's wedding in this church, and... The wedding finished earlier than I was expecting. I suddenly thought, wait a minute, I can jump on the train now. I can bomb across the country. And I'll, I'll get there at like 9 o'clock tonight. 
knock on the door. It'll be like a wonderful romantic moment, huge surprise for everyone, and we'll all celebrate and, I don't know, drink champagne. I just had this idea of kind of arriving. So I jumped on the train. Trains aren't always as predictable as you would like. And um, as we started to get towards Bristol, the train was going slower and slower. And it's like 10 p.m. we are going to arrive. I thought, that's quite late. And then as we went past Bristol, between Bristol and Cardiff, we went to 11 p.m. Then I really started to panic. I was like, you can't really turn up on your you know, relatively new girlfriend's holiday home, knock on the door at 11 p.m. and say, hello, you know, wake everyone up. thought, that's not what I'm going for. So I thought, I need to warn Beth I'm coming. So I took out my phone. It's very difficult at reception. I tried to text her, tried to phone her, tried to phone her again. Now, you know, some of you might experience at the moment that um, it's very easy to be addicted to your phone and it's it, almost like you're tethered to it and you, it's hard to let go of it and you find your attention being drawn into your phone. It's almost like a real addiction to your device. Whatever the opposite of that is, that's what Beth has. And... Um, <laughs> Like, she forgets she even has a phone some of the times. And um, so I was, like, phoning her again and again and again on this train. No response, no answer. Like, 65 missed calls, texts, everything I could think of. You know, message online, all these kind of emails. You know. And then we got to Cardiff, and it was moving back to, like, midnight. I was like, what if I can't get there in time? And then, and then we rolled into Carmarthen, which is a wonderful small town in Wales, at 1 a.m., and, um, and the train stopped and everyone got off. And I found the guard and I said, why have we stopped here? He said, because this is where the train stops. And I said, but we're going to Tembe. He's like, not on this train, you're not. And I was like, oh, no. I said, well, is there another train to go to Tembe? He said, yes, yes. And I said, when does that leave? He said, 9 a.m. And I was like, oh, but it, it's, it's 1 a.m. And he said, it is. And I said, well, can, can I walk there? And he said, yes. I said, how long will that take? He said, about eight hours. I was like... <laughs> I was like, is there any place to stay in Carmarthen? And he said, don't think so, not at this time of night. I said, can I stay here on the platform? He was like, okay. So I laid down on a concrete platform in Carmarthen in South Wales at 1 a.m. Do you know, I'd been on this train for five hours. It never occurred to me to pray. At 1 a.m. in Carmarthen, when you're on your own on a cold, dark, concrete platform, you pray. I prayed at 1 a.m. I tried to get sleep. I couldn't sleep. I prayed at 2 a.m., at 3 a.m., at 4 a.m. I was praying every hour of the night. By the time it got to 5 a.m., I was just praying that I'd know some sleep at some point with this diesel train operating next to me. And then eventually, at um, about 8 a.m., Beth called. <laughs> And she said, can I help? Are you all right? I've got loads of missed calls for you. I was like, it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> so often when we're in a crisis, prayer is our last resort when it could be our first response. You know, often when we're in a crisis, we Google. We call people. We put our hand in our sand and we pretend it's not going. We put our head in our phone to try and distract us. We do anything rather than just pray. James says, anyone facing trouble, pray. God wants you to turn your worries into prayers. Turn your worries into prayers. Maybe you're struggling to sleep at the moment because of difficulties you've got or difficult situations you're facing. At 3 a.m., one of the only things you can do when you're struggling to sleep is to say, I don't know what to do about all this stuff. I'm just going to try and turn it into prayers. Actually, every emotion you feel can be turned into prayer. There's not an emotion you feel that God can't handle. Even guilt. James says, confess your sins to each other and you will be restored. You'll be healed. You can turn your guilt into prayer. You can just ask God to forgive you. You can just say, God, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. I made that mistake. Would you forgive me? You can do that. But there's actually real power in saying it out loud. James talks about confessing it to someone else. It may be a mate or someone you trust. 
Because when you bring your sins into the light, they sort of lose their hold on you. Maybe the trouble you're facing is health. James, James says, you know, call the elders, get them to anoint you with oil. I did that for someone just two weeks ago who's unwell at the moment. It's really powerful. Just say, we want to pray with you and we want to anoint you with oil. Uh, you might know someone who's really sick at the moment. You can go to them and pray with them. Or you can just send them a message saying, I'm praying with them. Maybe if you're struggling at the moment, you could contact your group leader and just say, look, I need your help. Would you pray for me? Whatever it is you're facing. But not just difficult things. You can turn all your emotions into prayers. It's really interesting. The only time in the Gospels when Jesus is described as being of great joy, he turns that joy into prayer to his Father. Just starts kind of exalting to his Father about what's going on. The time in the Gospels when Jesus is in most distress in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when you know, his, his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death, he turns that emotion into prayer. Not just difficult things. If you're happy, James says, sing songs of praise. You know, if you're excited about what's happening in your life, you can thank God. If there's new opportunities coming. You can say, thank you for this, God. Ask him to help you with it. Give thanks for the good things in your lives. We did that on the way back. We had a holiday in Cornwall. We're, we're driving back. We just, just started going around the car trying to say thank you for really little things like toasted marshmallows or um, time to play with the cousins. But we just, just want to turn even our positive experiences into prayers. Why? Because generally speaking, in trouble, most people end up praying. Might be the last resort, but eventually you get there. But when life is great, that's not always the case. Sometimes said that you know, success is harder to steward than failure. In success, we can often forget God, but suffering has a way of drawing us to God. But if you had a mate who only called you when life was difficult, didn't invite you to celebrate when things were great, that would feel odd. God wants to be part of everything you're experiencing in your life. He wants to share your joys, share your struggles, strengthen you, and sustain you whatever you face. And what does that look like for me? Well, I, for a while now, my practice has been to try and wake up early and, um, and just to read a bit of the Bible and then to try and turn what I'm reading where it resonates with my heart into a prayer. And, um, and then I, over the last year and a half, I've been double dosing because because um, it's been a crazy time. And so I find it really helps me sleep if before I go to bed at night, I'm just reading something about God or about the Bible and then just try and turn that into prayers as I'm going to sleep. That really helps. What I want to do now, though, I feel like it's a new season. I want to try something new. And um, I'm going to try this new thing we're, we're launching today. We're launching 21 days of prayer. And we just want to find a new rhythm of prayer just for the next three weeks, just for 21 days. feels like, all the, my, for me, there's been so much change. Maybe so much change in all of our lives. And the rhythms and the routines have thrown everything out of sync. And I just want to take a moment. You know, it says Luke 11, 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So 11, 2, let's use that. Set an alarm at two minutes past 11. Wherever you are, you know, meeting a client, you know, trying to negotiate with a toddler, you know, teaching a class, whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are, your alarm goes off and you can pray. I, I'd encourage you later on, write down the names of three people, someone you know who you'd long to come to know Jesus. 
someone who you know needs God's help, whether that's because they're in a crisis or they're facing a real opportunity. And then maybe you could write down a student you know. Maybe it's a student you know or a student that's coming here in a couple of weeks. Or maybe just write down students and just pray for all the students in the world everywhere or the students coming to this city. And just to see how God might use that as we all as a church pray together at the same time. Isn't it fun to think of alarms going off all around the city in all sorts of different contexts, trying to explain that to your boss, trying to explain that on a Zoom call. It's fun. I need a new rhythm of prayer. Prayer is my greatest need. It's our greatest need. But also prayer is your greatest opportunity. I don't, it feels like most of us go through our lives wanting to make an impact, a difference wherever God has placed us. And there's lots of great ways to try and do that. You know, how we treat people, the values we embed in what we're leading, maybe a piece of research you're doing which might make a difference, maybe starting a business or uh, making an impact in your sector, maybe trying to be salt and light in your university or school or your hospital or your company. But sometimes we can feel like even with all our best efforts, we can feel a bit small. Like, are we really making a difference? I used to think when I was working away as a barrister, I thought, I feel called into this area to shape it. But sometimes I feel like it's shaping me. You know, I feel called into this area to minister to these colleagues and these people, but sometimes I feel like they're shaping me more than I'm shaping them. It could, we can feel a bit isolated, a bit like the institutions and the cultural forces are quite powerful, and sometimes we feel a little bit weak. But James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he gives the example of Elijah, a human being just like us. And you might say, well, he wasn't like us. He had a really long beard or he was really old. It was different in those days. But he was just like us. You know, Elijah had days when he was full of faith. Elijah had days where he felt despair and was probably depressed. You know, Elijah had days when he felt brave and courageous and days when he felt full of fear and probably like he had set his life on fire and didn't know the way back. There were days when Elijah, it seems like he was quite selfless and thinking of others. And there were days when he was consumed by self-pity. Elijah was just ordinary, just like us. And yet he was used in extraordinary ways. James says he prayed earnestly that it did not rain and it didn't for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain. Weather-changing prayers. I don't know if you've ever prayed about the weather. Uh, I sometimes it feels like quite a small thing to pray about. Uh, I went through a whole season in my life of, of not really praying small prayers. Like I felt a bit embarrassed to ask them. Like, you know, I felt it was okay to pray about world priests, okay to pray about nations. But I felt a bit awkward like bringing my micro details of my life to God. Like he was probably a bit busy doing other things, not that interested, it felt a bit selfish. And then I, I stayed at a, a house of um, a woman in her 80s for, for a couple of months. And she was a very prayerful woman. And, and just before she went to bed, she'd say, Stephen, can we pray together? And, um, and I'd say, yeah, of course. And I thought, here we go, you know, let's pray for you know, the Middle East or, you know, um, you know, geopolitical interactions between Russia and China. And, you know, and, and, um, and she was like, what's happening tomorrow? And I was like, oh, well, I've got this meeting tomorrow. She said, let's pray about that. And I was like, oh. And she'd be like, what, what, what are you worried about tomorrow? And I was like, well, I've, I've got to have this conversation with this person, a bit nervous about it. Let's pray about that. And I was thinking, wow, these are like really small things. But she had this faith. And I was saying, well, aren't we going to pray about the big things? 
She said, yeah, we'll pray about the big things, but we can pray about both. I was like, oh, we can pray about both. And, um, and so she would pray about the micro details of my life in a really powerful way. And over those weeks, I felt the impact of her prayers. And I think I got myself into a headspace where I was trying to you know, overcomplicate prayer or, or trying to... You know, it was almost like my questions about prayer had stopped me praying. My questions about God had actually put a greater distance between me and God. And I thought, okay, I just want to, just want to put that to one side for a moment. I don't understand it all, but I know, God, you care about the details of my life. So I'm going to pray about the details. And I'll pray about the other things too, but I'm not going to be ashamed or embarrassed about praying about the details because it feels like that's what you're interested in. And I, you know, God cares about the details of your life. Maybe someone needs to hear that again. God cares about the details of your life. You can come to him with the smallest concerns that are on your mind. It matters. Praying about the small things matters. But actually here with Elijah, something even deeper is going on. What seems like quite a small detail is actually of deep significance. Elijah prayed earnestly for those things because he wanted to see his nation return to God. It grieved him what was happening and his passion powered his prayer. He was passionate about what God was passionate about and his desperate prayer met with God's willing heart and there was this miracle. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Not because they are perfect or because you speak them out perfectly or even less because you are perfect. They're powerful because God cares. Not about the precision of your prayer, but about the passion of our God. God's provision is not dependent on your perfect prayers, but on his great love. And if you believe that God is loving, that he is wise, that he is sovereign, and that he's willing, that will encourage you to pray. And sometimes we can't even get there. Sometimes things have happened in our lives which confuse us and are distressing. And we think, I I don't know how to pray. I don't understand anymore. But even to bring that to God and say, Lord, I'm confused. I don't understand why that happened, why that happened, why that happened. But I still trust that you are good. You are kind. You are powerful. You are interested. You are wise. And so I'm going to pray even today. What does it mean that a prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective? Well, over the last year, you like I have probably seen a lot of the Secretary of State for Health on our TV screens and on news updates and things like that. We've now got a new Secretary of State for Health. And um, uh, politics is a difficult business. And uh, it's, it's made me think a lot over the last year because actually my wife Beth used to uh, work for the Secretary of State for Health. She did that for a couple of years and was a, in kind of one of the private secretaries to the Secretary of State for Health. So she worked for two different um, Secretary of State for Health in this office opposite Downing Street. And uh, obviously, like all jobs, the first few weeks, it's very exciting. You can see Downing Street. Everyone's interested in what you're doing. The Secretary of State for Health is working in the next office. And after a while, it just becomes a normal job. So Beth, Beth's also quite low-key about things generally. Um, so she wasn't especially excited about it. I was very excited about it. Once we were out in a bar on a Friday night, and her phone went, and she was like... Um, 
She was like, hi, yeah, no, no, don't do that, no, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, call Dave, yeah, okay, thanks, bye. I was like, who is that best? She's like, number 10. I was like, number 10? Why didn't you say something? We could have quieted the whole bar. Everyone, my wife is on the phone to number 10. Please be quiet. Just stop drinking for a second. Turn the music down. I was like so excited about it. Beth, very low-key about it. And, um, but, but over time, if you're working with uh, ministers, they actually become like friends. So when Beth left, um, they gave her this book. It's like, kind of like a joke, The Complete Yes Minister. And it gets signed by the two people you work with. So um, she became friends with these people. So first, I wouldn't say their name, um, to a wonderful civil servant. Good luck in what I'm sure will be a long and successful career. And then the second, dear Beth, thank you for being a superb private secretary. And good friend in difficult times. Have a wonderful time on the Olympic team. Best wishes as ever. So Beth became quite good friends with these people. Now imagine, imagine that um, I was passionate about uh, stopping a local surgery closing, and felt really passionate about it. So I got together a petition of all the people in the area. I said, this is why this GP surgery shouldn't close. You know, that's a petition. I tried to encourage the local press to get involved, but they're vaguely interested, but not massively interested. Um, I started emailing my MP, saying, look, could you do something about this local health surgery? It's really important it doesn't close. And, um, and eventually, I might have a conversation with Beth, and uh, she, would, she would say, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to stop this local surgery closing. She was like, why haven't you talked to me about it? I was like, well, I just, you know, I just, I know you're busy, but, you know. She was like, but I work with the Secretary of State for Health. She was like, yeah, 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 I know, but, you know, I, I just thought I'd try and solve this. And I said, well, why don't you, why don't you come in, you know, 3 p.m. on Friday, and I'll, I'll try and get you half an hour with the minister. Obviously, she didn't ever do this, just to make that really clear. It would be a breach of the civil service code. Um, and imagine if I said to Beth, well, no, I, I don't really want to do that. I'll try and start a social media campaign instead. Or, you know, why would I do that? There's other things I can do. I'll picket the, you know, the local council or, you know, the, the, the primary care trust or do this or do that. I just wasn't interested. It would be crazy. Eventually, Beth would look at me with one of those looks that I've learned to um, trust and slightly fear and say, look, stop being silly. Just come in. And so I'd go in, and on the Friday, 3 p.m., she kind of waved me by security. I'd go up to the first floor, the second floor, walk along the corridor, um, go into the anteroom, and then she'd walk me into the room and say, uh, Secretary of State, here's Stephen, who I told you about. And not because of anything I bring, not because of anything that I deserve, not because of anything that I have to recommend myself, but because of Beth's faithful service over those years, with that minister, because they trust her and know her, because of all the blood, sweat, and tears she had poured into her work, they would probably say, how can I help? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, when I first heard that, I thought, I wish I was righteous. And wouldn't it be amazing if you were righteous? Then my prayers would be powerful and effective. But no one is righteous on their own. But one. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And because of his blood, shed for me, shed for you on the cross. Because he paid the penalty we deserve. Because he intercedes for us. When we pray, we stand in his righteousness. God hears our voice. We're clothed 
in the honor and the beauty and the faithfulness of Jesus through his sacrifice. It's as if he takes us by the hand and leads us into the very throne room of his father and says, Father, would would you listen to them? They're with me. They're with me. Listen to them on my behalf. Through Jesus, we can approach the Father with boldness and confidence. Through the Spirit, the Spirit encourages us, tells us, preaches to our own hearts that we are coming as much-loved children of God. That's the access you have. That you are right with God. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus, if you've claimed his sacrifice for yourself, you have that access. God bends his ear to hear your prayer. And as you open your lips to whisper a prayer, when you're in a difficult situation, when you're confused, when you're longing for something to change in your workplace or in your family or in your city, when you're crying out to him, maybe all you can do is just whisper something at 3 a.m. in the night. Lord, would you help? He bends his ear to hear your prayer. And all of heaven stands ready to respond. You know, if we're going to see God move powerfully in our lives, the lives of those we love, the lives of those in our city, the lives of those we're connected to, we're going to need to pray. We need God's help. We need to encounter him afresh in prayer. Above all else, we need to pray. Lord, would you shift things in my workplace? Lord, would you shift things in this city? Lord, would you shift things in my university? Lord, would you shift things in our nation? Lord, would you shift things in this generation that's rising up? Lord, would you shift things for my children and the youth? Lord, would you shift things for my parents and my friends? Lord, would you shift things in my flat shed? Lord, would you shift things in that person's life that I'm praying for? We know you can do it. We've heard the stories. We've seen you do it. But in our time here, Lord, would you move? Prayer is an opportunity to shift the facts on the ground. Prayer is an opportunity for you to draw closer to God. Prayer is an opportunity to know greater freedom, to realize who you are in God, to be reminded of that. Prayer reassures you that in reality, in this universe, you are forgiven and loved and known and restored. Prayer actually reorders your desires. Prayer shapes you into the image of Jesus who even now is interceding for you. Prayer is the greatest opportunity available to you this day. Take it. Prayer is the greatest opportunity available to you this week, this year. Take it. Prayer is the greatest thing we could ever do with our lives. And we can just start today by speaking to God like a friend, bringing him whatever we face, whatever we feel, whatever's going on, and turning our emotions into prayer, turning our desires into prayer, turning our hopes and our fears and our worries and our joys into prayer, and saying, Lord, I don't understand how this works, but I know you hear my voice, and I know you long to respond. So what we're going to do is I just want to encourage you... um, 
just to pick up one of these cards. Hopefully you've got one. And um, uh, if you don't have a pen, you might have a pen, you might not have a pen, but uh, the team are going to bring around some pens. And just to pray and ask in this moment, God, to show you um, three people that you might want to commit to praying for over the next 21 days. Um, Three people you might say, actually, God, yeah, I, I long that this person would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, even by Christmas. Maybe that's the first person you want to write down, someone you long to know, Jesus. Maybe the second person you want to write down is someone who's really on your heart, or maybe someone who God's going to put on your heart right now, that, that, that you know they need God's help. Maybe that's someone in your family, maybe that's someone in your workplace, maybe that's someone you haven't seen for a while, but you just know they're going through it, or maybe you know, lots of opportunities are open up for the moment, it can be a positive thing or a, or a challenging thing but you know they need God's help. And then the third person, if you're up for it, um, maybe just want to write down the name of a student you know. Maybe it's a student you actually know personally, or maybe you just want to pray for the students who are going to be arriving into the city in the coming weeks. Um, Maybe it's uh, someone who uh, you you just want to write down students, pray for all the students everywhere. Um, But maybe those are three things you want to write down. So let's just take a moment, and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask, Lord, to guide guide our hearts and to stir us as we think about praying. So we say, Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit? Ask, Lord, that you would give each of us a new vision of what you long us to do with our lives through prayer. Lord, where we've become just a bit complacent or a bit passive or a bit cynical about prayer, we just ask that you would stir our hearts afresh this morning. Ask, Lord, that you would prompt us with the names or the pictures of people that you long us to be praying for at this time. And Lord, as we kind of commit to praying over these next 21 days, together, wherever we are, we ask, Lord, that you would give each of us that awareness that you are listening we're not just praying into the void but that you are listening to what we're saying what we're thinking come Holy Spirit